Welcome to Rivers in the Desert International, a revival ministry dedicated to bringing the living waters of God's love to a hurting and dying world. It is our desire as you listen to the following message that the Holy Spirit will fill you afresh and that you would be ignited into a fervency for Jesus. This is the day to be filled with the knowledge of His glory as the waters cover the sea. God is doing something new on planet Earth today, and you and I have the great privilege to be a part of it. We love you. Be blessed. being so busy, come aside and incubate and marinate. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Father, we give you permission by your spirit tonight to download into the hard drive of our spirit man. Right onto the hard drive. And Father, if there's too many megabytes, not enough space there, Lord, we just give us a new hard drive tonight. (laughs) We want the new software from heaven. We want to be downloaded from the mainframe above. (laughs) Glory to God. Downloaded with your presence, your peace. Hallelujah. We embrace your presence. Father, because your presence is simply being near to us. When we're in somebody's presence, Father, it means we're near to them. We can see them. We can hear their voice. So being in your presence is not just holy goosebumps, but it's being near you. We thank you the light of your countenance exposes our hearts. We don't run from the light. We run to it. So, Lord, we ask you to change us tonight. Rearrange us. Fry us. Barbecue us. Cajun style. Burn us up until nothing's left but Jesus. Because, Lord, that's why we came. Because we love you, Jesus. We want to know you, Jesus. Lord, I pray tonight that we'll no longer hydroplane upon the river of God. But now we'll go deep sea diving. Deep sea, get those pearls of a great price. Father, I pray for every soul here tonight, every mind to be stilled by your presence. For Lord, whatever we do should be done for your glory. So we give you all the glory tonight that's due your name. Encourage those of faint heart tonight. Heal bodies tonight, Holy Spirit. Bring people to a deeper place. Reignite new ministries tonight. And we give you praise and glory and honor for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated if you like, or you can run around the building, whichever you choose. We welcome you tonight. Hallelujah. 
This is the, I want to say something. This is the best investment of your time right now, is to linger and stay in His presence. Hallelujah. The best investment of time. This is better than CDs. This is better than any bond market. Glory to God. And uh, one thing I didn't share because I didn't have time this morning is that after I got saved and my parents told me to get lost, and so I moved in with some other Bible school students, and uh, one thing that I was continually addicted to do was to do what we were doing tonight for hours upon hours upon hours. If you want to know something about me, I'm on a relentless pursuit for the presence of God. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else interests me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I had it when I was attending Bible school in Tulsa. This more, quote, quote, mature believer came up to me. Because I was only saved for a year. He walks up to me and says, Scott, all you're talking about is Jesus. All you're talking about is witnessing. All you're talking about is the Bible. He said, I've come to balance you out. You're so spiritual. You're no earthly good. I said, oh, I received that, brother, but it kind of hurts me. Went back home that evening. I said, Lord, what's going on here? I mean, you told me in the Bible to be white hot for you. You said, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Keep seeking the things above. What's going on with this guy? And the Lord spoke to me. I heard a small voice. He said, son, don't worry about him. If you weren't spiritual, you'd be no earthly good for me. Catch that? <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. Yes, we have to pay our bills. We have to raise our kids. We have to pay our taxes, whatever. But there is a realm. Many of us are hydroplaning, have not entered into deeply, because we simply haven't taken the time to marinate. Hallelujah. Now, I'm sharing these things from my heart, because I want you to discover the theme is discovering the secret place of the Most High. And I haven't even told you the miracles yet. Because I want you to get more excited about the Word of God than hearing some more miracles, some more testimonies. you understand? I, my wife and I, we moved to New York City to help pioneer a Russian Jewish outreach among the Russian Jews. At that time, there was over 100,000 Russian Jews coming into New York City, into Brooklyn, that have never heard the gospel the first time. We, my wife, she actually speaks four languages, uh, Russian, Hebrew, English and unknown tongues. Hallelujah. <laughs> so we moved into Brooklyn. It's like moving into Leningrad or Odessa. It was incredible. And began to witness. And we saw just really, I mean, we have thousands of names that I kept. And we did lots of outreaches. But I would say about, conservatively speaking, 2,000 people, 2,000 Jewish people accepted Jesus those four years that we were in Brooklyn. And then, folks, that's a landslide. I'm telling you. I mean, you get a couple Jewish people born again a year, boy, you think, wow, praise God. 2,000. We would show the Jesus. I, I had the, the, the Jesus movie in Russian. We rented out a theater on King's Highway in Brooklyn. And people said to me, don't do that. No Russians will come. The Jewish people won't come for that. And I said, no, I don't care. God told me to do it. So we rented it out, advertised in the marquee in Russian. And uh, that's quite a time, wasn't it, trying to make those Russian letters put them on the marquee, and we got there at the congregation that night, and we had over 400 Russian Jews jam-packed the theater. Amen. So we showed the Jesus film, and at the end, we, 
I asked who here wants to ask Jesus in their heart, and every one of their hands went up. I went, whoa. The Orthodox got wind of us. The rabbis blessed their hearts. And they began to come after us and threaten us. And the Jewish Defense League came after us, America Hanna's group. And we used to have blockades over 12 New York City police officers guarding the front doors of the church. Because on the other side of the barricades were hundreds of screaming Orthodox Jews. And they were so upset. And the reason they were upset was because inside, Russian Jews were getting saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. During that time in New York City, we experienced a lot of outreaches, but we also experienced a lot of persecution. And, you know, the devil's name is Dibalo in the Greek, which means div to make inroads. Balo, it means ikbalo, to throw something at. And Satan would just keep on throwing things at you. He's the accuser of the brethren. He wants to break down your resistance. He won't hit you straight on with everything. He'll wear you down, wear you down like dripping water. And eventually all that persecution began to wear me down. I was never trained for this in North American Christianity. I had no idea. I'd never been persecuted except people say a couple bad things about me, you know, Jesus freak or whatever. I never had people wanting to kill me and put my wife and I in body bags. And during that time in 1993, I was so hungry for God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder, of those who diligently seek Him. Hallelujah. God is not a subtractor. Say that. God is not a subtractor. He is a rewarder. Hallelujah. Exponentially. He's a rewarder. That's why most people don't seek God with all their heart. Because they don't see God as rewarding them. Now, if I called the pastor and the pastor told me, you know what, we're going to have a church barbecue next week, everybody and their brother would show up. Right? Especially if it's free food. But if the pastor found out that some Spanish explorers a few hundred years ago deposited gold bullion underneath this building. (laughs) And everybody that shows up at 4 o'clock tomorrow morning with backhoes and bobcats and dynamite or whatever, it's first come, first serve. I guarantee you the whole county would be out here. The Bible says we're supposed to seek God the same way. Proverbs chapter 1 and chapter 2 says we need to seek God as gold and silver. Hallelujah. 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 He's a rewarder. He's not a subtractor. He wants to bless you more than you can bless yourself. Hallelujah. Whatever is in heaven, he wants to happen in your life. There's such, I mean, I read the promises. I become like Pablo's dog. I start drooling. It's like, it's like the dinner bell. I read this stuff and I get so excited about the promises because it's impossible for him to lie. But if I'm not experiencing the promises in my life. It's not God's fault. It's my fault. Amen. And for us to keep doing the same things over and over in church and expecting different results is a sign of mental illness. Amen? After a while, we got to say, where's the beef? I'm seeking you, Lord, with all of my heart, but this is still, I'm still having these problems. Hallelujah. Amen? 
take off the religious face. Let's, you know, let's really go down to the, to, the, to the meat and marrow of this message and say, hey, listen, Lord, where's the beef? Just show me. Now, if you ask me during this time we were being persecuted by all these rabbis in New York City, if you told me, Scott, you need to diligently seek God, I'd say, what are you talking about, man? What's the rub, bub? I mean, I am seeking God with everything in me. I mean, I've left suburbia, my family and I. We went to New York City, the belly of the earth, especially Brooklyn. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. The first word that my son learned was garbage. Because <laughs> I was driving into New York City across Staten Island one night, and I said, what are those big hills doing here? They're high enough to go skiing off of. And the, our person driving said, those, those are not hills, those are trash mounds. And I said, that's garbage? That's the first word my son said, garbage. <laughs> we pulled into New York City, and the, you hear sirens all, all, all night long. People getting got shot and stabbed in front of our bar. Cars being ripped off. I mean, it just, it's a war zone. I remember as a, I remember as a, as an ORU student going on summer missions, we're, we're coming up across the Verrazano Bridge into Brooklyn on our way to JFK Airport to fly internationally across overseas. And we're driving there, and also my, the team leader goes, what are we going to Europe for? This, we need missionaries here in New York City. And I remember I was in the back going like this. No, you don't. God, don't send me here. Oh, God, please, don't ever send me here. I saw the cars on the side of the Belt Parkway all burned out holes, you know. It says signs, if your car stalls, do not abandon it. Yeah, I see it. It's like Beirut, Lebanon. <laughs> Culture shock. If you told me you were not seeking God, I'd say, no, what are you talking about? Because I've read Who's Who's book. Whatever new book came through, I would go to. I'd wear the tires off my automobile, get into the, get into the next conference. If God told me you can experience my secret place by being a missionary to South America, I would have been on the last flight. I would have been there. People come to ORU and say, well, you need to do this. And I say, oh, well, let's do it. I'll be the first one in line, you know, first one at the altar call. They say, you need to do this. You need to break curses over your life. Oh, I'll be the first one up. You need to get my tape series, my 15 tapes on how to have a successful Christian life. Oh, I'll be the first one there. Hello? Anybody done this stuff? Oh, the glory of God's falling out in a church in Brownsville? Oh, I'd be the first one there. Come on. Oh, you've got to hear this new preacher on TV. Oh, man, I'd be the first one in. Watch it. Always running. Always hungry for it. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying that's my mentality. Maybe that's some of you like that also. Amen? Always want to, what's new? What's happening? Then the people, missionaries will come off overseas and come into America and say, America is gospel saturated. We're not, you don't see signs and wonders here because people are materialistic. You need to go on the mission field. So I was the first one to volunteer to go to India. Missionary wanted to go to India. I was the one, I was, hey, let me carry your coat and jacket and your suitcase. I'll go with you. I could never, I tried the hardest time to get a ticket to go to India. One way ticket. Couldn't go. God had something better for me. My wife. Hallelujah. <laughs> I went, you know, they come and say, well, you need to go on short-term missions. So I went on short-term missions to Spain. You go long-term missions. Okay, go long-term. Mid-term too? Okay, I'll, do, I'll do mid-term too. How many people have been there and done that and bought the T-shirt? <laughs> the new worship tapes would come out. The new books. Oh, there's so much. So much, so much, so much. You know what I'm saying? And so I thought, I'm, do, I'm doing the ultimate extreme right now. I've left suburbia. 
beautiful. At that time, we were living in Maryland. I left beautiful Maryland behind, left all of our friends, and now we're missionaries. We're going to die for Jesus in the jungles of New York City. Hallelujah. (laughs) And we got there, and we hit rock bottom after a while. I'm serious. We had, I was dry spiritually. We had, we had given everything we can to reach out to the Russians, disciple them. God did great things there. But I reached a point, and at that time, somebody came and gave me a video. The videos I was throwing out. This guy named Rodney Howard Brown from South Africa. He was preaching it, and I watched that. And when I watched that video and the people falling in the spirit and the joy, I said, that's what I experienced back there in that dormitory. Remember I told you this this morning? That's what I experienced. And I said, yes. I said, my wife, she goes, no, this is not God. This is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What, he's a Holy Ghost bartender? (laughs) Be careful. Those who resist the hardest get hit the hardest. (laughs) And so it came time, we had had a break to, to leave the congregation, this pioneering work there. And we just needed a break. You know, I, let me tell you why I needed a break, okay? We love the Jewish people. I mean, praise God, okay? But they're still enemies for the gospel's sake, right? Hello? They're still beloved for the sake of the fathers. There's a covenant God still has with Israel. He hasn't forgot about Israel. Read Romans chapter 11. We can't become like Martin Luther, who at the beginning of his ministry, Luther says we must win the Jewish people to Jesus. But at the end of his ministry, he said, burn down their synagogues. Why? Because when you start to reach out to the Jewish people, you will sit among scorpions and thorns. That was Paul's thorn in the flesh. Everywhere he went, there was supernatural demonic riots trying to kill him and stone him. Everywhere he went, that was his thorn in the flesh. If you look at Isaiah chapter 6, I see the Lord high and lifted up, and his, <laughs> and his train fills the temple. Remember that? And the angel comes, takes the tongue, cleanses his lip. And the Lord says, who shall go for us? And Isaiah, yes, here am I. Send me. There's a built-in zeal in Jewish people for God. Yes, send me. Okay, great miracle ministry. We're going to reach the masses. Hallelujah, TV, radio. No, you know what God says to Isaiah? Go and preach until they can't see and hear anymore. Make their heart heavy where they can't believe lest they return and be saved. Read it, Isaiah 6. Ezekiel, verse 1, the four beings inside the wheel. I mean, no, Ezekiel 1. I sat by the river Chabar and I had visions of the glory of God. Hallelujah. I saw one standing as a son of man from his loins downward and the loins upward were like glowing metal. Hallelujah. Read it, Ezekiel 1. Say, wow, I want to have a visitation from God like that. Yes, amen. Then Ezekiel 2 comes. Ezekiel chapter 2, son of man, I'm sending you to the sons of Israel. Yes, Lord. They are rebellious, stubborn people. He <laughs> said, among scorpions and serpents, you shall speak to them. Will they listen or not? Lord, that's not the kind of ministry I wanted, Lord. It's not what I wanted. Stephen calls them. I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of God. I see the glory of God. They rush on him and crush his skull with stones. See, we're asking for a visitation of glory, but you know when the glory of God comes in manifestation, people that love darkness won't like it. We'll have revival and also riot. Amen? Just the other side of the story. So we're in New York City, and we're having tremendous persecution. I mean, really tremendous. 
one night, actually it was one day, this is the final straw that almost broke the camel's back in my life in New York City, because I'd given it all for missions. Whatever God said, if he said stand in the back and my hands stand and, and clap your feet, I would do it. Whatever he says, I would do it. Glory to God. Hello? <laughs> Anybody like that? Well, say it, Lord, I'll do it. Yeah. Amen. So I'm in a service, and uh, the Orthodox are out there. God bless their darling hearts. <clears throat> and there's a point in the service where they're getting so crazy, and they're sending in like spies in the service to sit down next to Russian Jews and lie to them and say, if you sit in this place, we're going to take away our, the welfare and food stamps and SSI from you. And the Russians would get scared and run out. And they'd come in there and lie to them. And the rabbis call, use what is called the heavenly lie. That it's better to say a lie to save a Jewish person. You understand? It's, 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 it's ridiculous. They'll lie. They'll cheat. Just to try, save, try to save one Jewish soul from becoming a Christian. And so we're there. And then I get the report that Dalit's out there. And she's taking on a bunch of the rabbis. She's preaching to them in Hebrew by herself outside. And I'm up there running the service. And I get the report that um, one, of the, one of the Orthodox men tried to grab Dalit and push her underneath a running car that's coming. And I just, that broke. I said, that's it. That's it. And I, there was a big fire extinguisher hose, a big water main with a big long hose. And what I was going to do is I was going to turn that on full blast. And I was going to take that hose to the top of the roof above the marquee. I said, that's it. I'm going to spray down the streets. Just spray them all down off the sidewalk. I was, I was ready to do it. I was ready to do it. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God stopped me. That gentle voice. And he comes, son, if you do that, this is what it's going to read tomorrow's headlines paper in Brooklyn. <laughs> Radical pastor sprays down innocent Jewish bystanders. Riot breaks out. You know, they always twist it, you know. And right when that moment, when I was ready to do that, the Spirit of God says, no. And he gave me the way of escape when that temptation came. And instead, I got on my knees and I began to pray, God, turn these Saul's into Paul's. Turn these Saul's into Paul's. Lord, we forgive him. I stopped the whole service that day in the church and we began to pray for the people outside. Shortly after that, I decided to go on vacation with my wife. We left the kids with our sister-in-law. Many people know sometimes you need a sabbatical. And I told my wife she wanted to go to the beach and rest. And I said, well, honey, let's go to uh, this conference in Kentucky. <laughs> what do you have planned in Kentucky? Well, you know, just for a day. This is, this, okay, is it okay just for one day? And I'll go ever, anywhere else you want me to go after that one day. But let's just go one day to this conference in Kentucky. <laughs> so she fell asleep in the car, and I decided to drive straight across the Pennsylvania Turnpike. <laughs> and she woke up, and we're on our way into Kentucky, hallelujah, after Ohio. She goes, where are we? I said, oh, we're just a few hours away from Kentucky now. Don't worry. We'll, we'll be there soon. We get to Louisville, Kentucky, and it's Rodney Howard Brown's summer camp meeting. You're checking in the hotel, and she goes, I'll just go to one service, and that's it. I'm going to prove to you this is not God. So she sat in the back. <laughs> she sat on the back, and the whole service sat there like this. <laughs> the next morning, I, I, I woke up, and I, 
And the Spirit of God was on me so strong, I got up, and at 4 o'clock in the morning, I was dancing in the hotel room. Jesus. Before my feet even hit the ground, I was dancing. Woo! Glory. Thank you, Jesus. Because the glory of God was so strong. I said, Ben, honey, please, just one more service. <laughs> just one more. And that was the morning she came and pastors from Fort Worth, Texas, got up and preached on new wineskins and old wineskins. And Dalit says, maybe I have an old wineskin. We went to the next service. Are you ready for this? We went to the next service. And the, reason, the only reason why we really went to the pastor's lunch is because they had food. <laughs> went to the next afternoon service, and uh, there was a drummer from South Africa who has the largest drum set in the world. And he begins to play the drums prophetically. He begins to prophesy at the same time. His hands begin to move so fast as he's prophesying. And then I look over at Dolly, and she's going, ugh, ugh, ugh. Ooh, easy, Lord. Easy, easy. And she doesn't know what she's doing. <laughs> it's, like, it's like grabbing a hold of a doll and just shaking the thing. And then the drummer sits down, and then Rodney gets up to preach, and suddenly the drummer takes off his right shoe and throws it at the drums. And it hits the, the cymbals. And the glory falls. And when the glory fell, Brother Rodney called Dalit and I out of the crowd. They didn't know us from Adam. There's a point to this story. Called us out of the crowd. Called us where and said, who are you? Where'd you come from? And I said, well, we're from Brooklyn, New York. And he stopped and said, the Jews need signs and wonders in New York City. And then laid hands on us, and we went out. Dali thought it was only 15 minutes. She was on the floor for four and a half hours. They called her the Bonanza lady. And she was on the floor. She'd never seen Bonanza before. She was singing. And then she'd get up and dance. She was embarrassing me. <laughs> People say, well, what's the use of all that laughter and that shaking on the floor? Because she got the revelation what it means to be crucified with Christ. When she was on the floor, that her hands are his hands. Her mouth is his mouth. She no longer lives. Hallelujah. And so at the end of the four and a half hours, this is a powerful service that day. You know, it's like gifts of the Spirit were being dropped out that day. And how many of you know when, when the Lord prophesies over you? through a vessel that you know it's the Lord and you write it down in your diary. How many people have done that? Hallelujah. Hang in here. There's some more good news about those words. At the end of the service, suddenly there's a blood scream. Ah! And it's Dalit on the front floor. <laughs> and then she walks over and says, who poured water on me? I said, what are you talking about? You look at my dress. It's all wet. Who poured water on me? I said, nobody poured water on you. And then Carl Strader's daughter-in-law walks over and says, that's funny you're talking about water, because when you were on the floor, I saw, I saw in the Spirit the Lord pouring a pitcher of water all over you. And I got a new wife that day. Hallelujah. I got a new wife that day. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We went back to New York City refreshed and ready for signs and wonders to break out in New York City. And Dali's in the service the whole time saying, I wish I had a new dress. And Maurice walks over and says, man, the glory of God's over here. Let me take you to lunch. And he goes and buys Dolly the dress. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
So we came back off this conference, off this revelation, this wonderful presence of Jesus. We came back to New York City ready for signs and wonders to break out. And guess what? Nothing happened. Nothing. Ephes, Ephes, zero, zero. Not diddly squat. Nothing! And after nine months, I said, I said all that, that's all, folks, that's all introduction, okay? After nine months, I pressed into the Lord's presence, and I said, Lord, there must be more. Because I know what happened to us in that conference was from heaven. But Lord, we haven't had the breakthrough yet. I'm treasuring in my heart those prophecies that were spoken over us. You said to us, signs and wonders would break out in New York City. Well, the Lord showed me the secret place out of total desperation. And I pray everybody here doesn't have to go through what I went through to find the secret place. I pray you don't have to go through the circumstances that I went through that will force you into finding it. I pray that you just respond on what you hear tonight from the word. Because when we found the secret place, the Lord came to me, not in the fire, not in the wind, not in the tempest. He came in a sweet, small voice. The literal Hebrew means the rustling among the leaves. And after I pressed in and found the secret place, which we'll teach about in just a moment, this is what happened. The Spirit of God spoke to me. He said, son, I want you to take people from your church and take the shofar. And go to the places in New York City that are offensive to me and blow the shofar as a sign of judgment. The first place he told me to go to was the same headquarters of the Orthodox Jews that were persecuting us. The group, and God bless them, we love them. Listen, hear my heart now. Jesus said in the last days there'll be false messiahs, false Christ. Read it, Matthew 24. The word Christ is Christos. We get the word Meshach or anointed one. So Jesus said in Matthew 24, in the last days, there'll be false messiahs with false anointings. If you want to see people that have false anointings, you can see the psychics on TV. They operate in a false anointing, folks. It's supernatural, but it's not from heaven. Can you say amen out there? Amen. There is a certain rabbi during this time, a leader of the Lubavitch sect of Judaism, they're wild, radical Jewish people, ultra-Orthodox, called Rabbi Menachem Schneerson. You probably maybe heard about him during the, uh, the Iraq war, when Iraq was sending the scuds over into Israel, that Israel wanted to retaliate, and there was a lot of shuttle, shuttle diplomacy, you all remember that? They were afraid to break up the coalition. It was more than breaking up the coalition, folks, if Israel would have attacked. Israel, the American satellites we've read about now, Israel already had their mobile missile launchers out. And they were already tipped with nuclear weapons. Israel was ready to nuke Baghdad, folks. Forget about just doing some F-15s and coming in. They were ready to level the place. Israel is the number third strongest power right now behind America and China in nuclear weapons. They've surpassed France. Ben-Gurion, they built this place, Demona. They've developed what Zechariah talks about in the last days, that their, the flesh, their eyeballs, and their tongues will melt in their very mouth. They've already developed that to do that, which is called a neutron bomb. You can drop that, wipe out the people, but still keep the structures standing. Israel has what is called the Samson option. 
Remember when Samson, the last thing he did before he died is he killed everybody else with him? Israel has said, we'll never again will we have a holocaust. We have what is called the Samson option. If we're getting ready to be attacked and there's no hope, then we'll just nuke everybody around us. I'm serious, folks. And so during that shuttle diplomacy, there was a real problem because Shamir wasn't going to put up with the scuds falling upon Israel. Israel is very hard for not to have attacked. And there was a rabbi named Menachem Schneerson from Brooklyn who many people looked at at that time as being the Messiah that says, don't fear, don't attack. It's all going to wash over. And it did. The war washed over. They listened to him. This man operated in tremendous amounts of false prophecy. During the time, his time in Brooklyn, Jews from around the world would come to his headquarters. And all he would have to do is lift his right hand and labor would win the elections. Lift his left hand and Likud would win the elections. He welded great power in the world Jewish population. People would come from all around the world to get their dollar bills blessed. He would pray over them and prophesy falsely to them. I would witness the Israelis and Jewish people. And they'd tell me the crazy and wild things. Women that could never have babies would appear at his headquarters and he would, he would bless them. And suddenly ovaries would appear that were surgically taken out would appear. False signs and wonders. And so listen to me. The, the Jewish community began to elevate this man, this rabbi, as being the Messiah. You can go to Brooklyn even today and you can see all the signs and the banners up in the stores and over the streets saying, Baruch Haba Melech Mashiach, blessed is he, our King Messiah. And it has this rabbi's face. He had no descendants. He was from the lineage of David. And they were expecting him to be the Messiah. When they proclaimed him to be the Messiah, he suffered a major stroke the time of our tenure in Brooklyn. When he suffered a stroke, they began to say, well, he's suffering for the sins of Israel. And they began to say, Isaiah 53. So close, yet so far. He's the most, Mike Brown, who is uh, the dean of the Bible school at Brownsville Assembly of God, and he's a Hebrew scholar, he says that he's the most significant false messiah in the last 21 centuries of Jewish history. And here's little old us. In Brooklyn, I'm just an Okie from Muskogee. Hallelujah. Hungry for God. And not looking for a fight, but God's sending us out on a fight. And I heard the sweet, small voice of the Lord. He said, son, go to this man's headquarters. So we went there that night, June 11th, 1994. We stood across the street from their headquarters on a Saturday night when all the synagogues were emptying of all the people. Thousands of Orthodox Jews coming out. I'm saying, Lord, maybe I should have wrote my last will and testament before I came here tonight. <laughs> came there. I was driving the car. Another man next to me was blowing the shofar. We began to blow the shofar at 7 o'clock that night. And we began to say in Hebrew, Rabbi Schneerson's a Navi Sheker. He's a false prophet. Jesus is the Messiah. Hallelujah. I had no idea what we were getting involved in. No idea. Dalit's there, yelling out the window of the car, right there in front of their headquarters. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Honey, what's the word rend mean? I don't know what it means. <laughs> the Holy Ghost is telling me to say this. Well, honey, rend is an old English word. It means to tear. Oh, okay. <laughs> Tear your hearts and not your garments. Doesn't know why she's saying it. The Spirit's honors to say that. We blew the shofar that night at that hitman's headquarters at 7 o'clock. 
And they went to all the major synagogues in Brooklyn that night, and we ended blowing the shofar at 10.30. We thought, oh, that's kind of fun. Went to sleep, got up the next morning, and found out the entire rabbinical community of the world was stunned. Because this rabbi, who many Jews proclaimed to be the Messiah, suffered a major cardiac arrest at 7.01, 60 seconds after we blew the shofar. He suffered a second cardiac arrest at 10.30, the minute we stopped blowing the shofar and passed into eternity. Jews from around the world immediately flew into Brooklyn. They were there all night dancing in the streets expecting him to rise from the dead to be their Messiah. They already have a home built in Israel to send him there, (laughs) to send him there and crown him King Messiah. We got there around 3 or 4 o'clock that afternoon. We heard what happened. We rushed over there. We got there and masses of people were there. A friend of mine who's actually from Panama City, him and I happened to get into the, the receiving line to pay respects. And behind us was the ambassador from the United States. And behind uh, her, <laughs> behind her, the consulate was the Israeli consulate general. And so here we are with all these big wigs walking in the receiving line. CNN News is there. All these people are there. ABC News, their cameras. And we walk in and we walk in and there's the man's body, the rabbi, and all these rabbis are there trying to raise him from the dead, praying over him, davening. And all of a sudden the spirit comes on us again. I said, no, not the <laughs> wrong place, wrong time, Lord. <laughs> he says, prophesy that he's not getting up. And I said, he's not getting up, he's dead. And they grabbed us and ushered us out, threw us out of the building real quick, put us right in front of Channel 11 News. Channel 11 News was there, and there was a spokesman for this Orthodox movement saying, uh, there is no successor. He is the Messiah. He'll rise from the dead. And I said, excuse me, Jesus is the successor because he is the Messiah. And when I said that, I felt the gnashing of teeth. I thought I was going to be a martyr. I'm serious. I thought I was going to die that night. But somehow I just walked through their midst and wasn't touched. Dalit came with another group during that time, and this is the time where Dalit was standing right in front of their headquarters at the same spot she prophesied 12 hours earlier, 18 hours earlier. And all of a sudden, they realized that this man wasn't going to rise from the dead, so they had to bury him right away. And as they brought out his body, all of the Orthodox with one voice being to scream, a sea of black coats being to scream, Our king! Our teacher, our Messiah, don't leave us. And they began to weep and wail. And right then they began to pull out scissors and knives and began to rend and cut their garments. Dalit was there the night before saying, rend your hearts and not your garments. It's the custom in a Jewish funeral to rend your garment. And so we found ourselves right in the middle of a prophetic event of prophetic magnitude that I, mean, I don't know how to describe to you of an awesome sign and wonder. And I walked away from that event saying, Lord, I found the secret place. The Lord at one, at, right after that told me to go and stand in front of Wall Street, the New York City Stock Exchange, and blow the shofar, February 15th. We blew the shofar that night. The Lord said to me, this is a sign to you, son, of the coming shaking in America's financial si- system. We blew the shofar, and I saw in the spirit the Dow Jones shooting through the ceiling. It had to come back down like that. We blew the shofar. At that time, the Dow Jones was only 3,700. 
Right after that, we passed 4,000. It's had over 14 records since we blew the shofar. Now when it went past 8,000 just recently, hello. Lord also told us to go to Wall Street a year later, stand it as April, to stand in front of the New York City Stock Exchange a second time. We pulled up in our car, opened up the sunroof, blew the shofar. It was the most eerie sound of judgment I ever heard in my life. The Lord said, this is a sign to you again, son, of the coming shaking at Wall Street. We blew the shofar. 48, 72 hours later, Passover began. The moon became red as blood. There was an eclipse that turned the moon as red as blood in America. As soon as the moon became red as blood, the man that's in charge of all Wall Street trading activities, the Secretary of Commerce, Ron Brown, died tragically in a plane wreck in Bosnia. Another fulfillment of blowing the shofar. We go to churches now and blow the shofar when that sweet, small voice of the Lord comes and jubilee breaks out. Healings, tremendous healings. Lately, the last year or so, it's really been a lot more in terms of jubilee and the army of God to rise up. So this is not games, folks. How did I slip over in this area? Because of my, I was born this way because I went to Bible school. Nah. Delete button. Eh, eh, eh. No. Did I come there because I read so many books and went to seminary and studied the language? Bah, eh. Did I go there because I had somebody lay hands on me so much and my hair began to recede? Bah. It's because I fasted and prayed so much that I got so skinny I had to dance in the shower to get wet. <laughs> it's because I went to Israel and had a sabbatical and walked in the steps Jesus walked in and went to the holy sites and sat in the empty tomb. And an angel came and went, here, ding dong, you have the gift of faith. Ding dong, the working of miracles. <laughs> you all want to know how I found the secret place? Are you sure? Yeah. Will you do it? Yes. You hope. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happened before all these signs and wonders began to break out. And the Lord told me, before we were driving, he says, Lord, he said, son, just give away your ministry. Tell the people how to find the secret place. What grieves my heart when I leave churches, because we go into churches, we have extended meetings, we're there from you know, a week to two, three weeks, even longer is that when I leave, I cry because I know people there that never do what we said to do. They'll take the long approach. They'll keep wandering in the wilderness, still having their needs met, still eating the manna, still having their bodies healed, still under the protected cloud of glory. Come on now. But they're still wandering around, never entering in to the full measure of what God has for them. Like your pastor said to me today, he says, and people will just choose the will of God. There is a will, a good, acceptable, and perfect will. I want the perfect will. Amen? Okay, let's dig into the Word. I feel a teaching anointing, so hang on. I'm not going to try to hype something. Up. We've been enough in hyped-up meetings. Amen? The teaching anointing is here. We teach. If there's a preaching, we preach. If whatever it is, a celebration, we'll celebrate. But right now, we need to teach. Jesus went teaching, preaching, then healing. So let's just flow with the Holy Ghost in that area. Hang in there. So verse 6, it says, God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The first thing that caused me to stumble in the secret place is because I was totally desperate for God. Because I knew if I did not have a touch from heaven, I was going to leave the ministry and go get a job as an accountant or something. You understand what I'm talking about? Unless you get totally desperate, 
and make you hemmed in. And all you can do is press into God. Then you won't do it. You'll just, settle, you'll just settle for a nice maintenance anointing. And you'll never press in. Amen? You've got to get desperate. And I want to encourage you tonight that the American church is operating at such a low dimension of power that's available to us. We're so entertainment-minded. What I'm going to share with you tonight will cut right at the root of entertainment in your life. <coughs> Hallelujah. And what I'm going to share with you is not candy-coated sugar cane either. It's going to be tough. It's going to require Gethsemane. Can we go through Gethsemane? I heard one good yes. Hallelujah. See, in America, we don't like pain. But Jesus called us to be disciples. Disciplined followers. Amen? He says, you want to follow me? Take up your cross. Amen? Hallelujah. Unless we have death, we don't have a resurrection. I pray, I beg you tonight, hear the word of the Lord. Don't go the long route that I went on. All the books, all the conferences, all the services, all the things I did trying to find something. It's like pulling into, you know, like pulling into McDonald's for a, not being patient to go home and cook myself, you know? Give me a Big Mac, order fries, amen. <laughs> so I got desperate. I turned to Hebrews 11, verse 6. I said, Lord, I'm so dry here in the belly of the earth, Brooklyn. I need a breakthrough. And I've been there, and I've done that, and I bought the t-shirt. I know the language. I can study the Bibles and the languages. I have all the translations. I have hundreds, if not thousands, of cassette teaching tapes. I'm in church every time the door opens. I, I'll, I'll clean toilets. I love the ministry of helps. I'm serious. I love serving. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to move, I'll be the first one there to help them move. Hallelujah. I love it. But Lord, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. I read here and it says, the Lord is rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I said, Lord, I thought I'm diligently seeking You. But I realized I wasn't. I realized I was like so busy in the kitchen I wasn't sitting at the feet of the Master. I ran a reference to Psalm 63. Let's turn to that, please. Psalms chapter 63. People say, well, this is not a, I've never been to a revival meeting like this before. Well, I'm te I, I, see, most revival meetings are just the, the evangelist comes and gives CPR. <laughs> and if he's really anointed, they just put the, you know, the cables on them. They're boom. <laughs> Claire, boom. <laughs> but I want to tell you how to get CPR yourself at home. Amen? <laughs> People saying, hurry up and get with it. Come on, hurry up. <laughs> Verse 1, O God, Thou art my God. Psalm 63, I shall seek Thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for Thee. My flesh yearns for Thee in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have beheld Thee in a sanctuary to see Thy power and Thy glory. Because Thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise Thee. I'll bless Thee as long as I live. I'll lift up my hands in the name. My soul is satisfied with morrow and fatness. And the Hebrew word in here for joyful lips or singing is renal, which should be translated. And my mouth offers praises with, ah! 
Renal means, <laughs> sorry for scaring you. <laughs> Renal means in Hebrew, ear ringing cries. It has to ring the ear to be scriptural. Hallelujah. You'd be surprised when you start learning Hebrew. When I remember thee on the night watches, I meditate on thee in the night watches. Thou hast been my help. In the shadow of thy wings, I ah! scream for joy. My soul is clings to thee. Devic, Hebrew for glue. My soul is glued to thee. And I read this and I said, Lord, I know this applies to David, but this is me. Verse 1, I am in a dry, weary place, Brooklyn, New York. Yuck. I've seen your power in the field. Remember I told you this morning? I've seen your glory. Where's the beef? This is a psalm written of David, okay? S David is hiding from Saul. He's being chased like a dog. He's already been anointed as king. Hear me now. Come on. He's already killed Goliath. He's already seen the people dancing in the streets. He's already written a lot of his psalms. But he finds himself in a dry place. Anybody in a dry place tonight? Anybody in a dry place? Well, I'm good. I'm glad we drove all the way here for you, brother. Anybody else? <laughs> and I read this. I said, yes. Amen. It bears witness to me. Hallelujah. And then I saw here in verse 1, it says, I shall seek thee earnestly. Wait a minute. King James says early. Let me look up my Hebrew. So I opened up my Hebrew Bible. I looked up the word, and it's called shachar. Say that, shachar. Shachar means to seek something not just earnestly, but something early. Second key to the secret place. First key is totally desperation and hungry. Second, the secret place is found at a time of day. Uh-oh. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, Lord. I did that Larry Lee early morning prayer thing. Could you not tarry one hour? It about killed me. No, not early morning prayer, no. No, I remember the Pentecostal roadkill. I remember the jet lag from it, no. <laughs> Lord, I remember getting up early in the morning. After a week, I'm so zombied out, I can't do nothing. The Hebrew word shachar means to seek something early. I looked it up, the root. Shachar comes from the word mishkar, which means dawn, D-A-W-N. And the third thing, a woman with black hair in the Bible is the same root. And I said, oh no, that's not what I wanted, Lord. Can I just read a book or something? Can I just go to a seminar and have somebody lay hands on me to find a secret place? I don't want to get up in the blackness of the dawn. So the Hebrew word to seek God diligently doesn't mean to go on short-term missions or be in the ministry of helps or give everything you have to the gospel. It means to seek God early in the blackness of the dawn. You still want to, you know, if you don't want to be here, I guess there's no exit signs. Like, you can still go, but there's no... <laughs> Hallelujah. So I said, that's it then. On the basis of this text, and I'm so desperate, I'm going to start getting up every morning before the sun gets up and spend time with the Lord. That's it. I believe the Lord's spoken to me. Bless God. I told my wife, I'm going to get up and go to the church before anybody else does. Get up in the morning... So I'm with there. First day I'm all gun ho Hallelujah. Let's storm the sands of Iwo Jima. Glory to God. 
<laughs> got in the church. I remember I prayed in the spirit for an hour straight. Oh, Rabbi, it was hard. You know, believe me. It was hard. All of a sudden, I like, oh, 7.30, time to go do my pastoral duties. Love you, Lord. Thanks for a great day. And I walk off. Praise God. Put another notch on my, another buffalo notch on my rifle. Got that one knocked out. Hallelujah. <laughs> Second day, I get up in the morning based on this text. Go to, go to the church, get up, and I'm dragging not just a little bit more, you know, a little tired. I get up and I start praying. <laughs> Maybe we've done, been this, doing this. Boy, whew, hours up. Whoa, that was a little bit more difficult. Coming to the third day, the third morning, I was like this. I said, something's just not right here. I just don't feel the anointing. <laughs> I mean, I did that person's prayer manual. I suppose I'm supposed to do this, put on this prayer armor and all these things on. I just, something's just not clicking. I remember I finished the third morning like that. And it felt like the heavens were shut up like brass. The fourth morning, I came in. And I said, you know what? All I'm doing is praying selfishly. I'm pulling out my grocery list of prayer requests. You know, I'm bringing all the prayer. I'm asking God for everything. I'm really seeking his hand. I'm not seeking his face. I'm just being selfish. Maybe that's why I don't feel God's presence right now. So I decided to pray for world missions. We had a map out, you know. And sometimes I'd go and lay on top of a map and pray, you know, and pray for God to send missionaries to different countries. And during that time, I began to pray in an oriental language. And we had some people here from the Far East. I'm not sure if I'm speaking Chinese or Korean or Vietnamese. I have no idea. But during that time, I used to pray a lot, and like this oriental language would come out. <laughs> and I said, that's what it, I'm going to pray for China. That's why I'm not experiencing God in the mornings. So I get out the map and I, oh my God, oh my God, I'm serious. There was this, during that season in my life, I had this Oriental tongue that would come out of me. Once my wife and I went to Burger King, and we we're at Burger King. There was three businessmen from the Far East sitting there in Burger King. And Dalit says, honey, why don't you go over there and ask them if they can translate that tongue you've been speaking in. <laughs> Good idea. So I walked over and said, hello, I'm, I'm a pastor. And uh, I've been, I love the Far East. I've never been there, but I've been praying. And this language comes out. Maybe it's Mandarin, maybe it's Korean. I don't know. Cantonese. Can you interpret it? Sure, sure. And so I let her fly. <laughs> <laughs> and I opened my eyes and they... Their faces were white, and they got up and walked out. <laughs> and I came back and sit down, and they're like, honey, what they what they say? And I said, I don't know. I don't know what I said. They just got up and walked out. <laughs> okay, so I did that for a couple more days. Okay, the, the end of the first week, I was experiencing a severe case of lockjaw. Because I was praying and doing all the talking that you go like this. Feel those muscles up here? I had severe fatigue on all those muscles. Because <laughs> I was doing all the praying. 
And my prayers just is all hot air, just bouncing off all over the areas of the church. But I was committed, you know. Second week into doing this. We're still talking about the secret place now. I drag into the place. And something began to happen. I was so physically exhausted after the second week of doing this that all I could do was come in and lie down on, on the, on, before the altar in the church. And I would try to pray. But it was such pain on my muscles up here <laughs> that I would just be quiet. <laughs> and when I got quiet, guess what happened? Suddenly, the Prince of God came in the room. Suddenly. It was like rain. It was like it was like, I felt like Gideon's fleece being saturated with the dew of heaven. And his presence would come. And suddenly, you know, when God's presence comes, it revitalizes you. And I jumped up, you know, and whoo, hallelujah! And I started doing all the talking for the rest of the time in the morning. All the praying and praising. And then his presence would just lift off me and fly away like a pigeon. Just The second morning, the second week, I, I started singing that. You know what? Lots of prayer, lots of talking, pain. <laughs> Quietness, no talking, feels good. <laughs> Presence, strong. <laughs> so I started to understand something was happening. Look at Psalm 62. Folks, we're building, I'm telling you, we're, everywhere we go, this is a mandate from the Lord on us to teach this. And once we teach these things, we begin to enter in. Man, the meetings just take off. Hallelujah. Verse 1 of Psalm 62. My soul wait in silence for God only, for He is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. Verse 5. My soul wait in silence for God only. From Him is my expectation. And based on the presence of God that would come in the room when I got quiet, I began during that second week, I began to do this. Instead of praying my grocery list of prayer requests, instead of praying for China or something, I would come in and I would simply sing a song early in the morning. My soul waits thou only only upon God Would just sing, and as I would wait, his presence would come in, and then I would just wait. And after four or five minutes of waiting, suddenly I start hearing my mind speaking to me. You need to do your laundry today. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> my soul waits now on. You forgot to change your oil on your transmission. Oh, wow. Thank you, Lord. Don't want to chew up the transmission. My soul. You forgot to turn off the lights in your room when you left. Wait, wait a minute. Where's that, where's that voice coming from? That's, I began to recognize that my mind was kicking in. It didn't want to be still. Amen. Did you know that your mind is your worst enemy, the unrenewed mind? 
It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, I, I urge you, brethren, as aliens and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. The word wage war is taken of Alexander the Great. Military conquest. Did you know that your brain is on a military conquest against your heart? You don't believe me? Go home and try not to eat one piece of pie. And your flesh wants the whole thing. Seriously. You know what I'm saying? You can be in a Holy Ghost service and go home and also that flesh will rise up again. It'll go on a military conquest, temper tantrums unless it has its way. And my mind, being, my mind didn't, want, didn't want to get off the throne in my life. All these little voices would come. You need to do this. You need to do that. It's not Jesus. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's my flesh. Because it doesn't like to be still. I was watching this night. When you were leading us in worship, I was just kind of listening. <laughs> and I can hear people moving in their seats. We've been still too long. What's next? <laughs> Hit an E minor. Come on, let's get this thing going. You want to know more about the secret place? Okay, here we go. Into the second week, I began to wait still before the Lord. It was no longer prayer, but it was now waiting. Now, what did Jesus tell the disciples to do before the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost? He said, go and do what? Wait or tarry. Did you know that tearing upon the Lord has also almost been a lost art in the church? Because we have so much entertainment. We read about Azusa Street and the Great Awakenings and the Welsh Revival. Folks, those people didn't have electricity. Electricity can hamstring you spiritually also, you know that? They had waiting rooms where men and women would go and wait upon the Lord, tarry. So if the first rain came because they tarried, I believe the second rain, what we're waiting for in this last final hour before Jesus returns, will come when the church starts tarrying. It's not a comfortable message, but we need to have it. I feel the Lord's filleting tonight. He's filleting, I tell you. <laughs> this is what revival is all about. Because after we leave and go to the next place, you guys need to have revival on Monday morning before we go to work. Into the third week of doing this, I noticed one of the most powerful lessons ever to happen in my life. I began to recognize three voices in operation in my life because I learned to be still that second week. I began to recognize the voice of my flesh, the lower nature. I began to recognize the voice of my spirit man, my conscience. I began to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. Three voices. Hallelujah. God's presence came like a sword and divided me asunder, soul and spirit, was judging the intents and thoughts of my heart. I never would have waited upon God unless I was totally desperate. You understand? I want you to do this, not because you're desperate, because just based on the word, you'll do it. Not because you have crazy circumstances hemming you in. I want to fall on the rock, not the rock fall on me. I beg you, hear my voice tonight. Hallelujah. If we don't learn how to get into his presence and hear his voice, God will raise up another generation to do it. 
We're at a critical juncture right now. Critical. Time is short. Hallelujah. The third week of doing this, at the end of the third week, it was starting to be springtime in Brooklyn, and so I decided to go to the beach, to quiet beach, and, and wait upon the Lord. I was no longer praying, folks. I was now waiting. Now look at the beauty of early morning waiting. Your mind is groggy. Your body is half asleep. What a time to hear by your spirit. To have no static interference from upstairs. So your problem, and my problem, is not hearing God's voice. It's pressing through the crowd of all the other voices. And then God's voice will get strong. What a time to get downloaded. What a time to open up when your mind is still half asleep. You don't even know, you know which way east, west, north, and south is yet. You don't even know what the date is yet. And you get up in the morning and you start worshiping him before the caffeine kicks in. And he can give you that early morning manna. You've got to get your manna before the sun comes up. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every rhema, every spoken word that comes from the mouth of God. Hallelujah. You may have been tearing, and, or maybe you've been out there laboring all night, working for the Lord. Maybe you're in the ministry. You've caught nothing, and you come back to the shoreline, and Jesus says, launch out to the deep, let down your net for a catch. According to your rhema, your spoken word, Lord, will do it. Let down the net. Both of us begin to sink. One word from God will change your whole life. God wants to prosper you. He wants to bless you. But we've got to hear his voice. Hello? We have, you know, we move prophetically at times when the Spirit comes on us and people come up in our healing line and say, you have a word for me? You know, they'll say it up to our face like that or they'll say it in a long circuit. They'll say, well, I haven't had any problems in my life. And, da, 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 da. and can you pray for me? Really what they're asking for is, you know, you know, some guru word. Give me a break. I got a word for you. Get your Bible. And pray and leave me alone. <laughs> Hallelujah. I mean, yeah, if you're going through problems, you need an encouraging word, a confirmation, amen for that. But I give you no directive word who to marry, who not to marry. Hallelujah. Go hear from him. Press in. Anyway, moving right along. The third or fourth week, I went to the beach. And I was coming back one morning from the beach. And I was the third person on an accident scene in the Belt Parkway. The Belt Parkway crosses through, actually it's the Belt, it goes around Brooklyn, the bottom of Brooklyn, to Long Island. It's rush hour traffic. I get there. It's a major accident scene. I'm the third person there at the scene. It was a young black man from Jamaica on a motorcycle that was run over by a Russian Jewish lady in her automobile. Folks, I don't even know the details, it was a mess. And they had just pulled him out from underneath the car. He was pinned underneath the car. And he was there. He was, his head was lying in a puddle of gasoline. People weren't even getting near him as they're afraid the gasoline would ignite any moment. And I just was coming out of, you know, the shake and bake time. I was with the Lord. My soul waits now. Ooh, what's this? Pull over. And before I even think, this compassion of God kicks in inside of me. And I run over. And I lean down in the middle of this gasoline puddle. And I lift up this man's head out of the gasoline puddle. And I noticed that he had crammed down his throat all these sacks of crack cocaine so the police wouldn't find it. And he was starting to go, in, go into a shock. And I said, listen, my minister, Jesus loves you. And I began to lead him to the Lord and pray for him. Hallelujah. And he was like, yeah, yeah. He was listening. And then finally, he was going off into shock or dying. I don't know. I'm not sure what happened. 
paramedics came, pushed me out of the way, put them on the journey, flew in the back of the ambulance, boom, they're gone. And folks, I stood there by my automobile, and I got in, filled with gasoline, and I said, yes! And then I'd start crying. And then I'd start laughing. And then I said, yes, Lord, this is what it's all about. This is what life's all about, serving Jesus. Put me just a meter from the gates of hell and rescue people on their way to hell. Pull them out of the fire. Hey, even the garment spotted by the flesh. Amen? Yes, Lord, use me like that every day. Use me like that. How many people like that? Amen? And then I heard the voice of the Lord. He said something that changed my whole life. He said, son, if you wouldn't have positioned yourself early in the morning, I could not have used you during the day. I'll repeat. The Lord said, son, if you did not position yourself early in the morning, I could not have used you during the day. And I understood that when I come before the Lord that in the morning, he downloads my daily manna into me. And then my day becomes a domino effect. He brings people into my life that I have something to give to. Not yesterday's old manna. You understand what I'm saying? I become a walking Rambo. I become a walking Holy Ghost demolition crew. Hallelujah. He sends me on search and destroy missions. He sends me as a Holy Ghost paratrooper behind enemy lines to rescue POWs caught in the prison camp of sin. What could be more exciting than that? Hallelujah. Kicking devils in the teeth. Hallelujah. Giving the devil a nervous breakdown every time I wake up in the morning. Ah, he's up. Red alert, red alert. What's he going to do today? Hallelujah. Into the fifth week of doing this. I didn't have a breakthrough yet, okay, folks? Hear my heart. Stay with me now. This is going to change your life. Into the fifth week, I began to still wait upon the Lord, and it was still a struggle, okay? What I noticed happening, that God was, really what he was doing was giving me a personal frontal lobotomy. <laughs> really? The Lord was giving me a lobotomy. He was, he was dropping the guillotine of his presence on my brainstem. Whoosh. He was teaching me that he is not a brain tissue, but he is a spirit. God is a spirit. And those that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And too much I've been led by this three-pound organ rather than down here. For so long I don't trust what I hear down in here. Come on now. For so long God said, step on the water. And I said, Lord, is that really you? How many of you have been walking down the street and the Lord speaks to you? Go give that person, go knock on that door and pray for that person. Was that you, Lord, or was that me? And we start to waver and we miss the miracle. We miss an opening that God has to do for us. Amen? What a time when there's so many voices opting for our attention. Newspaper, magazine, advertisements, cable TV, sell your phones, notebook computer online, beepers, pagers. <laughs> what a time to go and set a time to be alone with the Lord and hear his voice. The fifth week of doing this, I've been to look up the word on early morning or prayer, or actually the word morning. Did you know I discovered something that totally flattened me? 
that every major watershed miracle in the Bible happened early in the morning. When I found this out, I said, Lord, I'm too much of a night-orientated person. The resurrection of Jesus was early in the morning. The day of Pentecost fully came was early in the morning. Moses, God said, God looked out of the pillar of cloud upon the Egyptians during the morning watch and closed up the Red Sea upon the Egyptians. God told him, Moses, get up early in the morning, go present yourself before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And the list goes on and on and on. You should study it. Song of Solomon says, let's get up early in the morning. Let's go out to the garden and there I'll show you my love. And I began to realize that my lifestyle as a North American Christian was always night orientated. I did a lot of Bible reading at night which really turned into snooze time. Yes, Lord, I love you. <laughs> Giving the Lord the last fruits of the day, you know. You know, we give the Lord the first fruits of our tithe, our income. We dedicate our firstborn. What about our first fruits of our time? You know, every time before Jesus chose the 12 disciples or did a miracle or walked on the water or fed the 5,000, it says in a chapter or two chapters before I studied this, that he was up early in the morning praying or he was in all night in prayer. Hallelujah. Every major miracle in the Bible was early in the morning. Glory to God. And I noticed that my lifestyle is so nighttime orientated. Now during revival meetings, you know, you're, we're up late at night. I mean, we were in Montreal up until 6.30 in the morning. 70% of the time during those three weeks. If we ended at 2.30 in the morning, we thought it was a, a, a slow night. <laughs> Hallelujah. We didn't have a chance to preach till 12 o'clock at night. We didn't have the offering till 12 o'clock. Man, I'll, those French, man, they're crazy for God. Hallelujah. They're crazy. Why? Because Montreal is the darkest corridor in North America. 0.01% of all of French Quebec is born again. 0.01% folks of 6 million people. It's the darkest region we have in North America. The iron grip of religion has been on the French people. And they're hungry for God right now, folks. They're hungry. Did you know that FBI and CIA agents are crawling all over Montreal? Because Montreal has become the new gate for drugs into North America. Our Coast Guard's done a good job and the Federal Drug Administration down in Florida, but now they're sitting up on Montreal. There's a lot of drug trafficking that's coming down through Montreal now. The sixth week of getting up in the morning and waiting upon the Lord, being still before Him, people say, well, what'd you do? Well, this is what I do. I get up in the morning, I love you, Lord. Hallelujah. I praise you, Jesus. Before I talk on the telephone, before I read the paper, before I do anything else, I go get in a quiet place. The third key about the secret place. The secret place is not a location. It's a positioning. It's not a locale. It's a positioning. If I ask people here, well, let me just back up a little bit. I had a, a girl in our congregation that she said to me, um, she goes, you know I'm having the greatest quiet times with the Lord. And my ear perked up, but she didn't know I was praying in the mornings. I said, really? 
I said, the Lord's kind of showing me about the secret place. What do you do in your quiet time? She goes, oh, I tell you, I get my Bible out. I go to the D train in the morning at 7.30. I get in the subway. And I'm sitting in my subway seat, and God's showing me great things out of the Word. I said, wait a minute. 7.30 in the morning, the D train into Manhattan. It's like sardines in there. People crowded all around. You're having a quiet time? Give me a break. That's a noise time. That's no quiet time. You're just trying to get a little few appetizers in there before you start work. No wonder you're coming to me so much for counseling. <laughs> and I begin to recognize, listen to me now, listen, this is, I begin to recognize that most of us as North American Christians, our quiet times are really not quiet times. We're too close to the telephone, too close to the TV. You know, we're there drinking our lemonade and lazy recliner and it's, you know, it's half time. It's okay, Lord, you can move now. <laughs> The key to the secret place is not just getting hungry and getting up in the morning, giving your first roots to God. It's position yourself. It's not Jerusalem. It's not Pensacola. It's not Toronto. It's wherever you can center yourself, open up your heart, begin to worship Him, and then He will come and inhabit your praises. He'll come and tabernacle over you. That's where the secret place is. But I guarantee you, if you have a TV on, or if you're doing other things, don't expect to enter the secret place. Don't expect to have a quiet time in your automobile on the way to work. You get a refreshing time, but not a quiet time. Am I speaking to anybody today? If we want revival, folks, we've got to disenfranchise ourselves for our North American Christianity lifestyle. It's entertainment, nighttime orientated. Hallelujah. If you don't believe what I'm saying, just believe me for the work's sake, the miracles that are happening in the shofar. I want everybody here to be positioned and do powerful things for the Lord. But you've got to hear His voice. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. Amen? If I get to heaven and I say, Lord, I'm ready for my reward. He says, well, that's great, son. I told you, you know, we, we reward your faithfulness. But I told you to paint that barn red and you painted it white. I know you worked hard, but you know, there's no reward. Isn't that be tragic? That's why ministry is getting financial problems. Because you know, they'll be preaching us and they'll hear the preacher down the streets on the radio and TV. So they'll decide to go out and buy all the TV equipment. God never told them to get on TV. They're just doing the business. Some of the guys on TV. Listen, I know what I'm talking about. I'm from Tulsa. There's a bunch of big white elephants there. Empty shells of buildings. Come on. To keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results is a sign of mental illness. <laughs> In the sixth week, I had a visitation from the Lord. I remember I was in the church in the morning I had moved out of a desire to, to have a secret place. I had moved out of discipline because it took me six weeks to discipline my mind to shut up, really. To go through my own Gethsemane. And then I moved into delight. The Spirit of God fell upon me one week, one day on the sixth morning. As soon as the sun came up through the windows of a church, 
I had a visitation. The friendship of God came back over my tent. The joy. The, I can't describe to you the transformation I had. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, all I want to do now is get up and pray. Now, we may be up late at night in revival services. People ask you, when does your morning time start? As soon as I get up in the morning. If I get up at 12 noon after going to sleep at 6.30 in the morning, that's my quiet time right there. If you work third shift, your quiet time is different than unless you work a first shift. Amen? Don't get in bondage. I'm trying to tell you that when you get up in the morning, you've got to spend time with the Lord. How do I position myself? Well, get yourself a, a, you know, a cubicle and sink it in the backyard or something and walk into it. Get a tornado shelter. I don't know. Something where nobody is and nobody can find you. You know, when I got kicked out of my house and, and, and uh, people asked me, well, how did you hear God's voice and all these miracles? I said, well, when I got saved, I didn't go on all the single ski trips to Colorado and go bowling, you know, and go on the hay rides and all those things we do with singles programs. I would get in my pickup truck and drive to the top of Shadow Mountain Hill where nobody was, and I'd get up there and every night, holy, holy, holy Lord, and just worship for hours upon hours upon hours. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All we need is His presence. All we need is the nearness of God. Amen? Some people don't want God near them. You know why? Because it exposes the sin. A lot of us want, are seeking God's hand. Blessings, finances, healings, loved ones that get saved. But the Bible says that don't seek God's hand. It says seek His face. If my people, which are called in my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and heal the land. Hallelujah. But it's a paradox. I'll conclude in just a moment. It's a paradox, folks. Because God... Moses cried out, Lord, show me your glory. And we sang about it tonight. The Lord says, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. But there's a problem. You want to see my glory? You can't see it. Because no man can see my face and live. I was in a church, an Assembly of God church in Connecticut. The pastor said, to come do meetings. For a week straight, all we did was preach on heavy repentance and putting the, the plow as far as possible into the ground and and just running those oxen over our hearts. Hallelujah. Digging up all the roots of bitterness. Everything out of our hearts. I had to get up to that service and repent from a bad attitude I had toward my 8th grade math teacher. <laughs> God will expose everything, I tell you. After the, after the end of that week, I was preaching and suddenly the Spirit of God came on me, came out of me and the Lord said... I've told my people to seek my face. But I also said that no man can seek my see my face and live. And I understood from that word that God really wants to kill us. <laughs> really? For you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ and God. We keep on crawling off the altar. You say you said, Lord, seek your face, but at the same time you said no one can see your face and live. Does that mean, Lord, it's like shooting a space shuttle toward on autopilot toward the sun, and eventually it gets toward the gravity pull and pulls itself in and then it vaporizes the thing? Yeah. Yeah. 
You might as well go ahead and ship your saddle home. Hallelujah. This is the time to let the gravity pull of the Holy Ghost pull you into God's presence so deep that you no longer live. The old man is vaporized. And then we're going to have revival in this land, folks. Hallelujah. And as some of God church, after that service, that revival went 17 straight weeks. There's still a revival right now. Still a revival right now. Great blessings have happened in that church. Hallelujah. The sixth week, the Lord visited me. He did not come in a great fireworks or the aurora borealis appearing. <laughs> you know, we look for the spectacular. We miss the supernatural. Because the highest form of God's visitation is a gentle voice. Blessed are those that believe yet don't see. And I heard the sweet voice of the Lord. Son, take your shofar and others from your church and go and blow the shofar at Rabbi Schneerson's headquarters as a sign of judgment. And the rest is history, folks. Hallelujah. How many people still want to discover the secret place? Try to give you a little bit of a yellow brick road to propel you that direction. But it's a secret. You're going to have to find it on your own. Yeah. You know, more miracles happened through Jesus' death and resurrection than all of the miracles he did at the Sea of Galilee. You know, Jesus' miracle was more effective. He reached more people by dying than he did all the miracles. And we always looking for miracles, you know. The heroes in the Charisma magazine are the guys with great signs and wonder ministry. Folks, the heroes need to be those that die. That's not a popular message. I was never taught these things. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. Amen? Acts 1.8. Did you know the Greek word for witness is martyr? Could it be the reason we don't have extended, full-blown, continued revival means because somehow in North American Christianity we've not really gone to the cross. We've, we've gone past the cross. Does it make sense? The extent of any revival is only determined by the depth of repentance gained thereof. If we can repent there's no telling what God will do tomorrow night. One other thing I need to say. You need to find a place in your house to spend quiet time with the Lord. As people build their houses, they put a lot of effort and money into the master bath, the master bedroom, you know, the countertops in the kitchen. But when you're planning to build a house, why don't we plan to build a prayer closet? Why don't we build the whole house around the prayer closet? A soundproof one. Where the... He would say, well, I can't do this. I'm a homeschooling mom. I'm a soccer mom, whatever. And I got kids, you know, pulling up my, 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 you know, my heels. Do it before the kids get up. Just go and sleep an hour earlier and get up an hour earlier. And to say, Lord, that crazy Jewish guy talked about it, Lord. <laughs> David talked about it. Lord, show me your secret place. Hallelujah. And you're going the greatest adventure ever. The blessings that have happened to us, I want to freely give to you the keys. Hallelujah.
It's not a prayer, early morning prayer. It's early morning waiting. Praise God. Father, I delivered what you wanted me to say tonight. I trust, Lord, that your word went forth on good soil, Lord. That will produce 30, 60, and 100 fold in people's lives, Father. Satan, I bind you tonight by the authority of the Great Commission and the blood of the Lamb. I command you to desist your maneuvers against every person here. And even the people that will hear this tape. From stealing this seed about the secret place. I thank you, Lord, for Holy Ghost alarms that go off in the morning. That people begin to get up in the morning and wait upon you, Father. Out of a desperation. And I thank you for those that will be rewarded because they've diligently sought you, Father. Lord, I have found no other way in the Bible to diligently seek you but this. This is the ultimate bungee jump. And I thank you for those that will pursue and press in, Father. Lord, we've delivered, we've done our part tonight. Let these seeds begin to germinate and bring forth great fruit in this church, in this community, in this world. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. There is an anointing that I picked up through early morning waiting. How many people have you set your alarm for 5 o'clock in the morning? And, and God gets you up at 3.30 and you know it's the Lord? How many people like that? You know what I'm talking about? And you know it's God. You really do know it's God. And your heart's right. And you do get up a little bit and, you know, maybe sit up or turn over a little bit in bed. And cool Rabbi Jada, I love you. Come on, I've been there, amen? I think the greatest act of faith to enter into the miraculous it's 180 degrees out of bed. The Holy Spirit comes upon me every morning. I'm up late because revival services. He'll come upon me in the late morning. And he'll say to me, don't. You ask my wife. I'll go in my office. I won't let anybody call me. I don't care if it's President Clinton. I don't care who it is. Nelson Mandela, give me a break. I meet with Jesus right now. Don't interrupt me. You'll notice when you start getting up in the morning and, and waiting upon the Lord like this, the phone will start ringing off its hook. I'm telling you. The devil, listen, the devil knows the key to your victories is finding the secret place. And so he'll do whatever he can to get you out of the secret place. He'd rather have you in the outer court than the holy of holies. What's the key to warfare? The key is to attack behind the enemy lines and cut the supply lines and communicative links. Your key is getting in God's presence. In His presence is fullness of joy. That's where your strength is. In His presence is, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the raiment of God. The only offensive weapon you have is what God says to you. And the, the sword of the Spirit is not this. Uh, God is my, you know, my strength in my life. Come on, that's just rice paper and black ink. It's the ramas when they come off the page into your heart and you speak those. That's what destroys the devil. Hallelujah. And the devil doesn't want you to get downloaded with those Holy Ghost Patriot missiles. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My job, listen folks, my job is not to build an audience. It's to build an army. And the greatest problem we had in the Revolutionary War with General Washington at Valley Forge that about killed our nation was desertion. That was the number one problem. Hallelujah.
number one problem in the American Revolutionary War was desertion. People said, I don't want to fight this war anymore. I'm going to go home and raise my cow, my cattle and raise my corn. Me and us four and no more. Come on. We're a corporate body. Hallelujah. I wish we, I had people from other churches here with me tonight that said, listen, Scott came, he preached this. We didn't like it because it meant a sacrifice. We didn't want to do it, but we did it. Look what's happening in our lives now. Any letters I get from people that say, man, thank God, keep preaching it, brother. And I know it's a tough message, but it's okay. Hallelujah. How many people want to get up and, and pray? And this is not going to be legalistically, okay? I'm going to pray for you tonight that when you get up, that, that the Holy Spirit, when He comes on you and you get up and you know it's God, that you have the chutzpah, you have the, the intestinal fortitude and glory to God and the courage to roll out of bed and not idolatrize your sleep anymore saying, I need another hour of sleep. I'm not going to make it at work. No! He's the strength of your life. You know what the Lord showed me through this? That my, one of my greatest idols in my life was my sleep. If I didn't get my sleep, boy, man, I was like a junkyard dog. I was mean and cranky. But when you get in this presence, man, it's awesome. But what I found out we lived on two or three hours of sleep in Quebec. Because when the glory comes, you don't feel like eating or sleeping. And you're refreshed. I can run through my God. I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. If you're hungry, you'll miss sleep. If your child's in a hospital, man, you'll, you'll go miss sleep and stay with it. Pray it all through the night. Amen? We don't see it right now, folks, but there is a hurricane coming. You all know, living on the coastline, if they say a hurricane's coming, you start making preparations. You start boarding up the houses, buying extra water, getting candles, kerosene. You understand what I'm talking about? Getting a generator. If you don't, you're foolish. I'm telling you by the Holy Ghost tonight, there is a hurricane coming. And all you see of it right now is there's a little gentle breeze beginning to pick up. This revival the last seven years, whatever you want to call it, is nothing, folks. It's just a little preparatory wind. A little fresh rain's been falling. We're on the carpet, totally inebriated, drunk in the Holy Ghost. Amen for it. I love it. But folks, that's just the doormat into the house. Next thing that begins to happen is the little waves being to lap up on the beach from that huge hurricane way out there in the Gulf. Say, hey, this, this, the surf is starting to pick up. And then you have the prophets come in, like lifeguards. They change the, the green swim flag to the red warning flag. And then you have people walk, coming in, traveling ministers, other guys flying these big C-130s in the eye of the hurricane, coming back saying, it's coming this way. The barometric pressure's dropping. Make plans. That's all we are. I'm a Holy Ghost weatherman. <laughs> There's a hurricane's coming, folks. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hurricane's coming. My soul waits thou only, only upon God. 
For from him is my expectation. Oh, Abba, I do love you. You are my Father. And how I love your nearness and your friendship. Lord, we wait upon you. Download your sweet, gentle voice. Still our hearts, O oh Lord. Hallelujah. I feel in my heart another scripture. We'll obey God. Let's turn to it. The book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 23. If you can't find it, it's right after Jeremiah. It's a little book. So powerful. Do 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 Lamentations three and verse twenty-one. And this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, his compassions never fail. They are new every evening. Just see if you're paying attention. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. The Lord is good to those who, the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. I've never heard this preach before, waiting silently. I'm so used to high-end worship music, you know. It's quiet, I get nervous. Not anymore. Verse 26, it is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. Salvation in Hebrew is Yeshua, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory. Now you may say, what do you, what do you mean by waiting silently on the Lord? Silence in Hebrew is the word dome. It means to be still like an officer waiting at attention for a commanding officer to speak something to him. You're at attention and you're waiting. Those who wait upon the Lord shall...
I want to thank you for being a part of Rivers in the Desert International, listening to our message today to you. Perhaps you have a friend, perhaps yourself are sitting there and wondering, where would I go if I died today? We'd like to give you a great privilege of praying with us and leading you to a knowledge of Jesus the Messiah. The Bible says that if any man or woman would call upon the name of Jesus, they would be saved. The Greek word for saved is healed, delivered. It's a wonderful promise. You're there now in your automobile, perhaps at home listening. Go ahead and pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to forgive me of my sins. The Bible says, if anybody would call upon your name, they would be saved. I'm calling today, Lord. Save me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Take all of my sins and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Father, I'm coming running home to you now. In your name I pray. Amen. Shalom, friends. This is Scott Holtz with Rivers in the Desert. If you'd like to contact us in our ministry, you may do so by writing us at Rivers in the Desert, P.O. Box 2788 in Alpharetta, Georgia, 30023 in the United States of America. Our ministry phone number is 770-777-0143. Of course, you can reach us anytime, 24-7, at our website contact page at www. Dot flashfloods.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. We are here to help equip you to be tactical warriors in this hour, to wake up this church, to win and disciple lost souls, and to take out terrorism of all forms. God bless you. Looking forward to hearing from you. Shalom, shalom. <laughs>